Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Yes, the Stripper Podcast. I'm your host this week, A.M. Dizzle. Um, this week's guest is a lovely person named Molly, who um, comes from the strip clubs, no longer works in the strip clubs, and is now an escort. Um, and some of the things that Molly was dealing with in the club was sort of extreme horphobia. So we definitely talk about that. Molly has a chance to tell her story on this show as an example to highlight the um, horphobia that still happens in the clubs today and between colleagues, sex worker colleagues. And, um, you know, we talked about how we would like to see that dismantled. We would like to see horphobia go away, but we really need to work on that together as a collective. Now, there was one part in this episode where we were talking about decriminalization for sex work, and I made a very flippant, thoughtless comment. And so I'd like to dedicate the opening um, this week about uh, decriminalization and why it's important and why it's um, favored over legalization. And so what I wanted to read to you was an excerpt from um, my favorite newsletter called Anti-Racism Daily. Um, I get it every month. Um, it's uh, it's a wonderful source of information. And um, they just happen to be writing about sex work um, the same day that I did the recording with Molly. So um, I wanted to read to you what was written by Dominic Stewart in Anti-Racism Daily's newsletter. Sex work is a large umbrella that includes a lot of work such as porn, stripping, erotic massage, phone sex, and more. Technically, many of these avenues are legal, yet sex workers continue to face police and institutional violence and communal stigma due to their work. Legality does not protect them. Legality also produces other barriers. Acquiring a license to work legally means that many poor and other marginalized people will continue to have barriers and remain vulnerable to police and institutional violence. Registering yourself as a sex worker makes workers vulnerable to doxing, potentially creating a domino effect of stigma and violence. Decriminalization is an attempt at reducing police stereotyping of people and harassing them based on stereotyped behaviors. Legalization does not end this kind of police harassment. It bolsters it. Instead of the police arresting for sex work, they would now be arresting for lack of licenses and other paperwork. This keeps the same carceral barriers in sex workers' lives, which in turn may have ripple effects on their housing or custody of children because of having police records. Lastly, legalization also has the potential to foster predators and does not address power differences between managers and workers. When sex work can only be done under strict licensing guidelines, it allows predators with access to resources to set up the only spaces where sex workers can work legally. Sex workers are then reliant on managers aware of carceral barriers and social stigma and may hold them over workers as forms of coercion. So this was just one part of this article that was written by Dominique Stewart. Um, if you're interested in learning more, I suggest going to the-ard.com and search 
um, search the word decriminalization sex work. Um, if you search that phrase, you will find this article. Um, so I just wanted to rectify um, the very flippant, thoughtless comment that I make in the middle of this podcast about decriminalization. And I apologize and I hold myself accountable as I take very seriously the responsibility of my words, visibility, and platform. Um, so thank you so much for always tuning in. And I hope you enjoy this episode um, of Molly telling her story and what horophobia how it has affected her life and how she has moved on from it. So thanks again. Take a listen. Bye. This is our podcast, all of ours on yes, a stripper podcast. We celebrate the stories of sex workers around the world. We inform, we share vulnerably. We learn from each other, no matter who you are, there is an opportunity to learn, laugh, cry, and grow as sex workers are some of the most incredible people on the planet and their stories are what the world is obsessed with. Hi everyone, AMD here. Yes, a stripper podcast here and we have a lovely new guest today. But as always, you know, I have to remind y'all, we love it when you make it rain on us. This podcast is listener funded and your donations are a super duper help. So if you would like to donate, if you haven't donated before, you can go to paypal.me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast and show us some love. Money goes towards trying to pay our guests, trying to pay our hosts and paying our producer who has worked very long and hard on this show. So we appreciate your support. That's paypal.me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast. Today's guest is Molly. Hi, Molly. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing so good. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. Will you please tell our audience what your pronouns are? I use she, her pronouns. Lovely. Thank you so much for sharing. So we are meeting for the first time. How do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> I I've always wanted to be on a podcast. <laughs> oh, is this your first time? <laughs> yeah, this is my first time. Um, I love that. It's uh, it's funny because I started doing Zoom therapy during the pandemic, so mm-hmm. I'm like used to um, talking about like serious stuff. Over, okay. Uh, you know this format, but like you know this is like not. Um, uh, not the usual like um, way that I, you know, have these kinds of conversations. So. Totally. Yes. <laughs> You're about to bare your soul to an audience of who knows how many people. So I get it. I get right. it. Not to freak you out or anything, but yeah, I get it. I um, I love having first timers on here because uh, I, I guess it can be scary, uh, nerve wracking your first time. Um, I'm totally guessing. I don't know if that's true for you <laughs> or other people. Yeah, totally. I, I, um, actually speaking of therapy, something that, um, I've talked about in therapy is the fact that like, I can get on a stage and like bear all, you know, like physically, but then when it comes to like sharing what's in my mind, I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God. Like, am I going to say the wrong thing? So it's, it's definitely like a juxtaposition there. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'm very similar. Like I can be on stage and I can talk to an audience, but if I had to do stand up comedy, I would like 
urinate all over myself probably like I yeah yeah, I'm like (laughs) and I actually think I'm kind of funny but like I don't know what comedians do is so so hard so I have a lot of respect for that terrifying yeah well um I'm really excited for you to share with our audience today some things that have been going on for you um we, we spoke on the phone the other day and got to know each other a little bit um which was wonderful and thank you so much for that um but yeah you have some some stories to tell specifically around horophobia in the strip club which is like a really huge topic mm-hmm. um because i think that a lot of people assume that we don't have horophobia because we're whores mm-hmm. but totally <laughs> I mean, we have internalized it so mm-hmm. that is what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Do you want to let us know how you'd like to share and kind of kick things off? Yeah, I'm really I'm really grateful that you're giving people the space to talk about horophobia in the clubs because like this is now media that exists that can be a resource for other dancers and sex workers to access. Um, when I was dealing with horophobia, at my strip club in South Carolina. Um, I'm in Philly now, but um, I was desperate for something that would sort of like help me think through some of the things that I was, or, or and just things that I could use to cope with the horophobia that I dealt with in the club. Um, not just like me personally, but like the way that I saw it enacted against other dancers and sex workers in the club. Um, should I just like jump into like my... Yeah. (laughs) If you'd like to, because I, I imagine once you do, I'm going to have questions and we're going to want to talk about some of the things. So yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so much, so much to say about like all the things that I witnessed and experienced at my particular club, which I guess I should just preface the stories by saying that I worked at primarily gentlemen's clubs. Um, in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, my particular club was like majority white. And we had like, we had a few black dancers who worked there like intermittently. Um, and the, f- the first time that I really spoke out about horophobia at my club was during a situation where a, um, a white dancer who was like, I mean, she was really into Confederate flags. <laughs> to like was like kind of covertly and overtly racist um would like talk would say racist things about black men and black customers um and she had brought to everybody's attention and to the manager's attention that there was a dancer who was black was doing extras and i i mentioned that the racial dynamic there because um because other people were like supposedly doing extras, but like nobody really cared or it wasn't really spoken about, or there were no, like, there were no consequences for that necessarily. But when it was a black dancer supposedly doing extras, which, which extras is like a spectrum of full service, like, you know, right. I don't know if that's how you would define extras. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely can range what extras are. And for context for our audience, if you are not a sex worker or a stripper, extras means um, more than a lap dance. 
basically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which I feel like we all, I mean, a lot of dancers do more than just lap dances, you know, it's just, there's such a range of things that can happen. (laughs) Right. And like, not all the time either. Right. Like Uh, I, I would maybe do extras with one person, but not other people, you know, it was really like, Mm -hmm. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it it just depended. I know there's a bigger, better word for that, but yeah, yeah. totally. And, um, so yeah, the, this, this white dancer, um, let's, I guess just call her Barbara. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) Barbara told the manager that, um, that, uh, Rebecca was doing extras was, I think getting fingered or something. Are we allowed to like, like, oh my god yes be dirty say whatever you want <laughs> say all the f- fuck shit bitch all of it yeah whatever said that she was being fingered in the lap dance room which like who cares <laughs> um exactly and i was really mad about that because um I, I saw like the racism happening in my club and i also knew at the time that Rebecca had just had a new kid and like Fossa Sesta was, was happening during this time. It was like just past. And I was just like, you know, it's, it's hard, kind of hard to see the ways in which like policies immediately impact like your, your everyday life. But I was just mad about it. And I was like, like if she is or isn't, you know, doing whatever you think she is in, in the, in the lap dance room, like it, would you rather her be like doing that somewhere else where it's like less safe, you know, just right. the context of like, you know, back page being taken down and all these things that were happening with FOSTA SESTA. Um, and I made a statement on my Instagram, which is kind of where all drama starts. I feel like, or most mm-hmm. people start. I uh, wrote a statement that was just like welcoming discussion around like does doing extras at a primarily non-extras club like really threaten other people's business and um i i said that it didn't like i just don't i didn't really think it did and Mm -hmm. uh, barbara's best friend nancy These are like, these are like not the stripper names. I know. It's so funny. I love it. (laughs) Nancy was best friends with Barbara and took a screenshot of my statement, Instagram story statement and send it to a group chat of like everybody who worked at the club except me. And, or at least that's what it was in my mind. Yeah. (laughs) And was like, uh, you know, uh, she basically uh, elected herself as like the person that knew, like knew, really knows what I'm up to because she like, she said she had worked with me the longest and was like, we know that Corey, which was my name at the club at the time is, you know, doing extras too. And um, yeah, at that time, my name was like on the dressing room mirror as like the person who sold the most champagne rooms that month, which is like, a weird thing that managers started doing for some reason to like 
great competition. <laughs> exactly. To create competition to, to, you know, feed into this internalized capitalism that we're all also dealing with. And like, oh, I have to, you know, they, they did that to me. Oh God, it's so much mental persuasion of to work harder and to, and to make it think like it's our idea, like very, very manipulative shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was super weird. And, it, um, uh, and this was a small club. So business would kind of would be rough sometimes. And when dancers are like sitting in the back room with no customers in sight, it's kind of like such a, like, it can be such a brew for, you know, talking about like, well, why are others doing better than me? Mm. Um, And uh, Hmm. Nancy and I had done a double dance like a few weeks earlier and I had just been spending time with this customer and we were like looking at each other's Spotify playlists. And I kind of noticed the, the, the sort of music he liked to listen to. And during the double dance, I bent over and I whispered into his ear, like very sultry and was like, I love Enya. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, Oh my God. Like he just looked at me, like, you know, she gets me or she's like, it was something enticing for to connect with him over. And Nancy told everybody in this group chat that, um, that I like whispered into his ear that I wanted to like suck his dick or something. And, um, anyway, it's not really important, like whether if I, you know, did say that or not, but. um, Right. It's not, but I have questions for Nancy. That's for sure. sure. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I had like a couple of friends in the club who were giving me like this insider stuff of like what was happening and right. why, like all these things that were being said about me. And um, I think like the, the, the thing that hit the nail in the coffin, is that, is that how you say that? Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> was that um, there was a manager who was like promoted from bouncer status um, who basically like confirmed all of these allegations that I was doing extras I guess like he saw me in the champagne room and I was stripped down to my like my new g-string and he thought I was naked and I used to lay down with customers and like hold them and cuddle and you know just be sweet and I think that like the way that I was conducting my business by creating in like like you know quote-unquote real uh intimacy with with customers was like misconstrued because it wasn't really seen as like you know what was culturally or legally acceptable as like an erotic service in that right in that context um and he also just didn't like me (laughs) the the bouncer (laughs) slash manager yeah i think Mm -hmm. he just like like drama he was kind of like terrible to a lot of the dancers um and i had like called him out for saying something transphobic and he like lost his shit so I think there were a couple of different factors there of like why he just went rogue and confirmed these, you know, rumors about me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was just like, I, I feel like it would have passed. Like it was a really terrible time for me, like emotionally, because I was just trying to work and ha- was having like passive aggressive and aggressive aggressive behaviors like directed towards me. Um, so I ended up driving four hours to the sister club um, just to, you know, a few days a week just to work and not be like in that environment where people were like, you know, attacking me. 
<laughs> yeah. I wonder why the toxicity levels were so high at that one particular club, because when you drove four hours away, was it different for you? Or maybe it's because people didn't know you. So it was like a, a clean slate and there still was that level of toxicity, but you were flying under the radar because you were new. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that like my home club, it was pretty small and there were a lot of, I mean, I think that there's like clicks at any club, but it was so small that most of the girls like hung out or most of the dancers hung out with each other. And um business was difficult. I think there was that scarcity mindset, like you were saying. Um, and I'm not sure if the club that I drove to had this, had similar issues. I didn't, I didn't really get that sense because it kind of seemed like all the dancers were like on their shit, just ready to work, ready to just, you know, make money and weren't really concerned with what other dancers were doing. It didn't seem like anyway. Yeah, but there was more people there. It was busier clubs. There's more yeah, people. More were, you, more people. Were, you closer to, were you closer to a larger city uh, in the second club? And was the first club like more rural kind of? I'm just wondering like what the the mindset yeah. is. I mean, it's, it's South Carolina. Um, okay. So okay. I was driving to Greenville, which is, is a closer to Charlotte and mm-hmm. Atlanta. So maybe that, that there was some influence there. Yeah. Like, you know, people are just hustling the way they they want to. <laughs> um, yeah. And Charleston is like, I think there was like a lot of faux pas around extras too, because like our, our main manager was an ex-cop and Charleston is just like a very like conservative place. And there's always like threats of like the clubs being shut down too. Sure. So that, there's like legitimacy to that. Like people are like, you know, because of criminalization, people are legit worried that, you know, if they think that we're doing that at these clubs, we're all going to lose our jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I just, I kind of want to go back a little bit in the beginning of the story. You said the first time I said something about the horophobia I was seeing was when it was directed at a black dancer who we're calling to keep names private, Rebecca. So what came out of that? Did, Did you say something to the other dancers in regards to Rebecca? And if so, like, what was the result of you speaking up? Is that okay to ask? I think I put the target on me. Okay. Um, because Nancy had screenshot my statement and that was like enough proof. Cause she, she had already been telling people that I was doing extras, but there was no real proof. And then when I posted something on social media, she screenshot it was like see like she really thinks that it's okay to do extras at the club which means that that's what she's doing you know yeah so my question for nancy is how do you hear i love enya and translate that into i'm gonna suck your dick okay and then if you didn't hear anything being said then how do you know what was being said those are my questions for Nancy and for other dancers or people who look at someone and think they know what's going on. And instead you've made up this whole story in your head about someone else or something else. And you really, in fact, don't know everything, but then you just run with the story and then judge and then treat people horribly with, from a story you've made up. Yeah. And I, I think that it just comes from, 
I, I wonder if it just comes from a place of insecurity. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that a lot of the girls, because like full service is not seen as like valuable or real work. Like one of the things that Nancy said was anybody can suck dick, but not anybody can entertain. That was like something she posted on her Instagram after yeah. my statement. So I think there's just this, like, if, if it's true that I am successful at the club because uh, based off of how good of an entertainer I am or the way that I look or, you know, how charming I am, then that sort of means that like, they're not any of those things because they're not mm. making money or they're not making what they perceive as, as much money as me, which who right. knows, who, you know, who knows what, like who was making what, you know? Totally. Totally. I but used to phobia was kind of used as a weapon yeah. to attack me to like sort of belittle me as if like, that's something to yeah. belittle. <laughs> right. As if we're offended by that. Um, right. yeah, I, um, I wanted to ask, um, what, what was it? I, I know I, it was a painful time. So I'm, I'm being, I'm trying to be gentle and delicate here, but what, did that treatment towards you, how did that like affect you? What, what was going on for you? Like inside your body, like in your nervous system, like what, what was happening for you? Because, because I want the audience to understand the reason we're having this conversation today is because you're either dealing with internalized horophobia or you've gotten over your internalized horophobia. And some of this may be validating, or you're still dealing with your horophobia and projecting it onto other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're talking about this for a reason. We're not having, you know, we're not having you on here today to, to like, just talk about Nancy and Barbara being shitty, right? The purpose is, and I want the audience to really understand this. Molly, I know you already understand this, but the purpose of this conversation is for us to confront our horophobia and for us to have discussions around it so that we can stop this nonsense because the maintaining of the horophobia within our own community is what will ultimately keep us from rising up and gaining the respect and awareness for the for the work that we do and so we need to treat each other well no matter what no matter what choices we we make with our own bodies so that's why I'm asking you this question now, so people can really understand the effects of projecting horophobia onto other people. Yeah, I actually really appreciate that question because um, I think that I I still beat myself up over how upset it made me um, because, in a way, I, I, in my, in my mind and like in person with these dancers, I was like, I'm not doing extras guys. Like it just, it really, it got to me in this way that I wasn't, didn't really expect because like my assumption about myself at the time was that I was like super woke about horophobia and that I didn't have any, like, you know, I didn't discriminate against others for doing full service but then when the target was on me, all I wanted to do was deny it. And, you know, why did I, I did keep asking myself, like, why did I want to deny it so bad? Like what, what difference does it really make? It doesn't actually protect me. And it definitely doesn't protect those who are doing full service in the clubs. Um, it's, 
I kind of like relate it to, um, I guess this is dramatic, but like witch burnings, <laughs> like when somebody, when somebody like calls you a witch because like you're, you know, you're facing like potential persecution, <laughs> like your, your visceral reaction is to deny it and to be like, no, no, like that's not me. Instead of being like, like no, none of us are witches out here. Like we're just people, you know, doing our thing. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's, it's like not really about not being a witch, but just questioning why there's like this misogyny, which I think corephobia is obviously like a perpetuation of like internalized misogyny um, or corephobia is a perpetuation of internalized misogyny. Yeah. I, it's very interesting for a couple of reasons. One, you'll find out later, uh, why you brought up witch burning. And when you, and, and I imagine that there were people who said something like that, um, when they were about to get, you know, they were being accused of being a witch and they're like, uh, I mean, I'm not a witch, but think what you want. And that would almost be like, she is a witch. She is yeah. because she's not denying it. You know what I mean? Like, because she's <laughs> not denying it fervently. Like she's not like, Oh, I'm not a witch. So she must be a witch. So it's almost like you get stuck in this place. Once the, once the judgment has been made, how, how do people even pull themselves out of it? Because it's almost like, it doesn't matter what you say at that point. If you say, yeah, yeah. Okay. Think what you want then they're like, oh, okay, well then she must be. If you're like, no, I'm not. And you're denying it. They're like, oh, you're trying too hard to deny it. So it's like, what? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was definitely really hard. And it was like, not just, I wasn't just like internalizing the horophobia at the club by, by being so like um, desperate to deny it. But I think I had done survival sex work before I, I, um, began dancing and I did that because I was in panic mode, like to access housing and food. Um, and then when I started working at the club, I took like all the stripper courses and was like really proud of like how well I was doing, like making choices that felt good for me, um, with my body, like was able to like stay intact with my boundaries and do well at the same time. Um, and when people were saying that I was doing extras, it felt like they were like pulling me back or I was like, I just felt pulled back to a time when I had to do like certain kinds of sex work just, just to survive. I see. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes sense because it sounds like you have some, you know, had, I'm not assuming, um, that you still do or, at also acknowledging if you still do, but, uh, it, it sounds like it was triggering mm-hmm. to a certain degree because of some trauma that you had experienced. Yeah. Um, because sex work of all different kinds can be traumatizing to all of us in different ways. So I totally get that. And I also like hope that you're, you've been kind to yourself since then is as far as like, um, Oh, not me. You know, I think that is a natural reaction and, um, and we're all like rooted in this system and way of thinking so deeply that it's really, really hard to always be on point. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you've done a lot of work around this too. 
I think preparing for this podcast definitely helped me like yeah the, com- the compost in my mind of like yeah you know how do I feel and think about this um, yeah what were what were some ways that you were able to overcome your horophobia and were you able to find support around this issue um yeah yeah it was interesting because when this all went down uh the clubs shut down as of the um yeah so the the club shut down a few weeks after all of this went down and i nobody was able to like go to the club and um you know face each other <laughs> i was i was thinking about going back to this to my home club because i didn't really want to continue to to drive four hours to work um and i i kind of just wanted things to die out a little bit but um i was also planning on moving to philadelphia a few months later anyway so i am definitely curious to i'm curious if i would have how i would have dealt with the internalized horophobia um had i stayed at that club i think that would have been really powerful but um instead i i spent like the spring and summer um researching as much as i could about escorting and I think I like I realized that the the kind of client interactions that I wanted weren't like permissible at the club, whether if I was like, quote unquote, sucking dick or not, you know. Right. right. Um, I think another way that I've dealt with like the internal horophobia is to be out whenever I can to not just like I used to just kind of flat not tell anybody in any social situation where um you know it wasn't just me and another sex worker and now I'm just like I've kind of chosen the people that I'm not out to and then everybody else I'm like I'm just I'm not gonna like internalize shame every time I closet myself <laughs> yeah so uh that's it's been a tactic that's been helping me a lot to just kind of like not assume that like everybody is going to be terrible about it. And if they are, then like, at least I can walk around with my head held high, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you basically transitioned from the strip club to the work that you're doing now, right? Like that, that was an intentional decision to Mm -hmm. do so. Right. Yeah. I wanted to, I, I guess, South Carolina in South Carolina, I didn't really see other full service sex workers. I didn't escorting wasn't really in my periphery. Um, after moving away, I was just like on Reddit and was like, oh, this is this whole other world that's like, you know, that you can navigate um in a way that's like, you know, safe, safer <laughs> than you know, you might Yeah. Interesting that you chose Reddit were they um weird like were they uh discriminatory how other social media platforms are with like the words that we need to use at times not as much no yeah. no i didn't i not as bad as it is on twitter and instagram mm-hmm. yeah there's like subreddit groups that are like sex workers only and just a lot of like resource sharing and people helping each other out how to get started and mm-hmm. that is really really good to know. And I think for our audience as well, because, um, you know, since the signing of FOSTA-SESTA, 
sex workers' lives have been hell and, you know, the deletion of Backpage, et cetera. And so I think that's that's really good to know that Reddit is is a good place for that. And you've had positive experiences there. Yeah. Okay. Just like, just to be able to get started and to absorb, you know, this whole world of companionship, paid companionship. Yeah. And and do you feel better about your work and about your autonomy since leaving the club and, and, you know, being your own boss? Oh yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you can relate to this, but it's kind of like being in high, like in high school, um, where you're just in this, like, dense social environment where like you know there's like certain cultural norms or just like values that are like instilled in you and then when like summer comes around and you're like oh I don't feel ugly anymore or like I don't feel (laughs) yeah I mean that's not to say that like I don't still you know like Twitter is a whole other realm for like companions where like we are sort of in that environment of like beauty standards and yeah um and but yeah, I definitely feel like there's a lot more room for me to just be myself mm-hmm. and to conduct the kind of business that like feels good with my body. I'm not yeah. in stone inch heels. Like my inter- interior pelvic tilt is kind of going away a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, yeah. Yeah. I see a chiropractor for mine um, wearing eight inch heels for 20 years has caused my spine to deteriorate. So take care of your bodies out there. If you're a young stripper, start taking care of it now. Don't wait. Definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I noticed that one of the things that you mentioned that would happen in um, VIPs for you is that you would do cuddling or lie with customers. Um, I I love that um, because I, I wanted to be sweet with some people too, because that's what they were looking for you know? Um, but it does, it is a more intimate act that is sort of frowned upon, um, which I find to be very strange, but, um, is that something that you implement in your work now? Like there's not a lot, as far as I know, my understanding is there's not a lot of cuddlers out there. (laughs) They're harder to find. Is that something that you do? Do you feel comfortable sharing? It's funny because like somebody, um, a client reached out to me and, and um, sometimes I use references, like references among other things to screen clients. And one of the references was a professional cuddler that lived in LA. Like that's, that's all she did was cuddle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, that's like definitely a big part of um, my business now is like, I sort of advertise as quote unquote, like girlfriend experience. Um, I think I'm going to like shift away from that a little bit, um, in a few years because I'm definitely like entering my, my Dom era (laughs) a little bit, but, um, yeah, I do cuddle with clients a lot. And I think a lot of clients are just looking for looking to be touched and to be seen and, you know, just intimacy in all kinds of ways that don't just involve like, you know, over acts, over sexual acts. Yeah. What do you, I want to go back one more time before we move on to like the fun stuff, stripper tips, four for one. Um, I want to go back a little bit and um, ask you if you could like have a sit down conversation with Barbara and Nancy, what would you 
like to talk to them about, like with the the perspective and the the hindsight that you have now, if you had that then and you could sit down with them and talk to them, what do you think you would say? Have you thought about that? Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. I, I did actually did want to have a conversation with Nancy. She refused to have one with me. The expectation was that we were going to physically fight. Like that's what everyone expected. Um, but I've never been in a fight before. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would I say? Um, I guess a part of me would try not to just deny that I was doing extras. I think that that would be really powerful for me to do um, because it doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that they would want to, they would want to like talk about that. Like, I think they would want to have this debate over, mm-hmm. you know, whether if I, doing extras at the club is like threatening to other people's business. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I would just try to have that conversation and, and to sort of like maybe contextualize some of the, the larger um the larger issues at hand, like sort of like try to help them understand how their behavior is like connected to like real is like connected to like violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the threat of violence. Because if like, if you hold your yourself as a stripper to this sort of like standard of like, I'm a, se- I'm a sex worker or I'm an, I'm in an, uh, an, uh, an erotic entertainer, but I'm not like them. Like I'm not, you know, doing what they're doing, then you're sort of like asking for respect from society on the backs of full service sex workers. You know, like that's kind of how I feel like respect politics works. It's like you're oppressed, but you're like not like the other ones that you're trying to oppress, you know? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. I I totally get that perspective. It's like, well, if, if, because then that's the hierarchy, right? That's like, I'm a better whore than these other whores that do this down here. Mm -hmm. And when we start to make visible the construct of hierarchy, because that's exactly what it is. It's fake. It's a construct. We built it when you make that visible, then you sort of give permission, not sort of, you definitely give permission to society to think less of, and therefore potentially be violent to the lower level whores. I'm using air quotes for those of you who are only listening. The lower level whores don't deserve our respect. I'm, I'm a better whore than they are. So therefore like whatever about them, but treat me nice. Mm-hmm. You're literally giving people permission to be violent towards people that they perceive are not, don't have high moral standards. Like who gives a fuck about, God damn it. Sorry. Sometimes uh, I get romance. I, I don't really know like how it looks to decriminalize full service sex work. Like I, you know, we can guess what that, what a society might look like where that's like a possibility but the reality is that that's not the case. And some people do come to clubs to work safely, you know, doing, doing their, doing full service. Like that's part of their business model. And, um, I would rather, you know, Rebecca like work at the club and do what she 
needs to do than to be like, you're threatening my business, like leave. (laughs) Yeah. There's a bigger picture. I feel like. Yeah. Um, And then my bigger issue with uh, sex work not being fully decriminalized is that when there are workers doing it in the club, which is, is safer then that also uh, there's an opportunity for managers and owners to then exploit and um, extort those workers because they know what they're doing is illegal. So it's still safer in a physical sense, right? In, in a physical sense, not even fully safe because there's still shit to deal with, but because we, we as a community, we as the strippers continue to allow whorephobia. Yeah, that's a good point. Then we make it so the owners and managers are like, oh, well, like they're not up against the whole crew, right? They know that they have a minority that, that are the sex, the doing the extras and the majority will side with them. So unless all the strippers in the one building or like, no, we stand with everyone with whatever they want to do, then there's more room now for the the authority figures to extort Mm -hmm. and to punish and to potentially harm. This is why we don't want legalization. (laughs) Correct. No, we definitely don't want legalization because then they're going to start taxing our, what we do with our pussies and mouths. Like get out of my taxes. (laughs) But (laughs) I mean, there's more to it than just that, obviously, but you know, totally. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a very complex and like insidious thing that we're dealing with. And I think the only way for us to overcome it is to just accept each other for what we're all doing with our bodies, my body, my choice. I mean, it's such an easy thing to understand. Yeah. And I think for strippers, particularly like inside, yeah, outside and inside the club. So I think um, part of the sentiment of my club was like, you do you, but just don't do it here, you know? So then where are we supposed to do it? (laughs) Where? (laughs) You know, I don't get that. Then figure it out. You guys come together make your own brothels, fight the government, (laughs) stay united. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Like we can do this. Let's just pick this one thing and rally around it, you know, but it really takes like having these conversations, I think. Um, And I've admitted many times in the past, and I'll do it again here on this episode that I dealt with my own whorephobia and it was pretty bad. And I would say things like that. And I'm, um, I've learned a lot and I believe that we can all overcome this together. And, and I don't even blame people for having whorephobia because it's been beat into us since the day we were born. These are the things that are okay to do. These are the things that aren't. I thought we were supposed to be living free here. Want to be fabulous? Just like these strippers pay attention. It's stripper tips. Go for it. You're up. It's all you. I think um, my stripper tip is to try to find rituals or uh, systems and structures like that work for you to 
if you, if you plan on being in the long game, working at the club for years, um, you want to be thinking about long-term sustainability and not like the short term. Like if I worked every Friday and Saturday night for a whole year, I probably wouldn't have been able to maintain working as long as I did because <laughs> I would have just burnt out completely. Right. Um, I would mix in uh, day shifts and weekend night shifts. Um, and I would always like stretch before and after I would try to like, it, um, implica- uh, what's the word? Um, <laughs> I would try to have like different rituals that I would do to just take care of my body. Um, and sometimes that involved like not drinking too, to, yeah, like I said, like maintain the long game um, yeah. for your health. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Okay, four for one. You ready for these questions? I'm ready. Get ready for our rapid fire question round. It's time for four for one. Okay. Question number one. What mythical creature do you wish existed and why? Oh my gosh. Um, Probably... Sasquatch. Okay. Are we a Sasquatch mythical? Yes. Some people would argue that Sasquatch is real, but I think it's not real. So let's go with mythical. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was mythical because there aren't like famous pieces of literature written about Sasquatch, are there? I don't know. I was just about to ask the same thing. There's uh, maybe. I don't know how real it is. Some people think Sasquatch is an, actually an alien, like an alien form. Whoa. And that's why they're, that's why we can't really find them. Wow. They can just like, like shape shift. Yeah, yeah. Something like that, you know, and I believe in aliens. So that's like the only one reason why I'm kind of like, I don't know, maybe Sasquatch is real. I don't know. So <laughs> I just want to believe there's like a huge, like, uh, rogue evolved ape. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good why. That's a good why. All right. Next question. Why do you think warlocks weren't burned at the stake? Oh, because you don't really need. uh, So one, one thing that I actually recently learned about witch burnings was that the church used it as a way to, um, like, get people to start going to church more and like give their money to the church. It was like this whole, there was this whole political agenda. (laughs) Really? I don't know if it's true. I didn't like, I just think I read it somewhere randomly. And um, yeah, they were just like, if people believe that witches are a thing, then, you know, fear creates, you know, like politicians use fear to, you know, build power. And interesting. Yes. With warlocks, it's like, you don't really um, need to like create hysteria around like what men do and what men are because, or cis men, because like they can do whatever they want. (laughs) Yeah. Good answer. (laughs) If you could have a comprehensible conversation with animals, what would you say to them? Um, Well, this is my dog, Dolly. I would probably talk to her. Um, she's getting older and I just want to like talk to her about her life. And if there's like, you know, anything else she wants to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Definitely sweet. <laughs> it's been nice seeing her on the couch stretch around every now and then. She, she likes She's, to chill. <laughs> yeah. Last question. If you were reincarnated, what you what would you prefer to return as? Hmm. Hmm. I guess hmm, I can't decide if I would want to be a swimming animal or a flying animal. I think I'm there's some that I'm just going to say platypus. Platypus. Oh, they're so <laughs> cute. Yeah. Oh, I love them. And they like hang out in the water and they hang out on land, which I'm yeah. into that, like, you know, duality. <laughs> I'm into that swim life. Yeah. <laughs> Pool day every day. Yes. I love it. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Um, do you want to let people know how to find you if they want to, you know, reach out to you or just follow you? Yeah, um, I am Molly Sixu on Twitter. Uh, that's Molly and then Sixu, C-I-X-O-U-S. And I have like a little Substack blog where I kind of talk, like blog about my experiences being a companion. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm super curious to know if any of our audience listeners have anything that they've been thinking about throughout this episode or anything that they'd like to share, whether it's in pro or against what we were talking about here today, um, because this is a very important conversation that I'd love to see happen more in our communities so that we can overcome this together. Um, so yeah, please feel free to um, write to us on Instagram at yes, a stripper podcast and, and, or email us. Yes. A stripper podcast at gmail.com. Okay, Molly, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you again so much for sharing so vulnerably your very personal experiences. I really appreciate spending time with you today. Awesome. Thanks so much for giving me the space to, to talk. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you to our listeners. See you again real soon. Bye. Thank you for absorbing this episode of Yes, a Stripper podcast. We love your listening. Yes, a Stripper podcast is produced by Period Podcast Network. Please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. And please consider donating to help keep this podcast alive. Send your love to paypal.me forward slash yes, a stripper podcast. And that's on Period Network. <laughs>